Welcome to No Password Required, a monthly conversation that gives you an up-close and personal look at the world of cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to No Password Required, a podcast dedicated to exploring the minds and personalities that make up the field of cybersecurity. I'm your host, Jack Clabby, and with me is Pablo Torres. We're going to be joined by Ernie Ferraresso in a few minutes. Pablo is also, at the end of our interview segment, going to be here with his segment, Positively Cyber. And before we go any further, let's talk about who we have on the show today. On the podcast today, we're going to chat with Roger Grimes, the data-driven defense evangelist at Know Before. I'm not 100% sure what that means, but I can tell you that he has described it as the best job in the world on multiple occasions. Roger has written 12 books and over a thousand magazine articles on computer security. His most recent book, Hacking Multi-Factor Authentication, is available in print and digitally. All right, with that taken care of, welcome to the co-host here today, Pablo Torres, somebody who's read well over a thousand magazine articles. Pablo, how is everything going? Oh, Jack, where do I start? It's a beautiful day here in Tampa, Florida. Things are going pretty well. And uh, I think what we're cooking up with this show with Roger Grimes uh, in attendance is definitely going to be interesting for our listeners. And uh, I think we're definitely leading into some interesting conversations, starting off with the NSA's 2020 Cybersecurity Year in Review. That, my friend, seems pretty interesting. Pablo, I have to tell you, I came across this in a Forbes magazine article. And so, you know, one, you know, I read Forbes magazine from time to time. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. But two, to see Forbes quoting an NSA public release as opposed to something that was leaked from the NSA, I thought was great form. What What is going on? Why is the NSA, which is supposed to be the secretive agency, why is it doing public announcements and putting up this public report out in January? That is a fascinating question, if you ask me. And um, I think very appropriate for the political climate that we are in and kind of just came out of. Um, my two cents, I would think it has to do in part with what we experienced recently within the field, uh, within the cybersecurity community, some pretty prominent breaches. And I feel that right now, reinstilling that good faith within our society, our community is important. And what better way to do it than have the NSA, the, the premier leading agency to provide confidence in our community that we are safe. Yeah, and so they've had the cybersecurity directorate now for, this might be the first full year that they're working on. And so this report comes out of their work and it sort of tells us what they're up to. You know, the other day um, we were watching uh, a show, called, I think it was called Spycraft. Uh, and it's a, it's on, yeah, it's on, it's on Netflix. And my son who's nine asked me, uh, you know, it, what was the NSA? And I explained, okay, well, the NSA deals with signals intelligence, SIGINT. I said, most of what it does isn't something it's going to discuss with the public. I think their cybersecurity mission, though, is quite different, right? Because they are doing things like getting together with the public, with, with the private sector, getting together with the public sector. When they find out things that can be disseminated, they do make announcements. So, you know, they have their, this, this is their report. What are some of the things that you took away from this report? What are some things that our, our viewers should know, should know about? Well, Jack, you you and right now in this moment sparked the thought, and what comes to mind is this defense in depth, 
And with what you just said, I mean, why, why are they doing this? Why are they taking the cyber approach and incorporating the public when, when more often than not, this type of work, especially with this type of agency, is, is more in the, the back room? Uh, we don't really have the ability to be privy to this type of activity, but now we're seeing that cybersecurity is, is really presenting a new battleground for us to go ahead and do our day-to-day -day activities. Um, and I say battleground because it really is a battleground. It's a wild, 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 wild west on the internet or on the interwebs, as I should say. Um, why, why do I think that the NSA is really pushing for cybersecurity? Well, it's to gain more interest in the upcoming generations to, to show them that, hey, look, this is a promising career field. We have an opportunity to grow and develop together. Why not go ahead and plant that seed early? Um, I, I think the NSA is doing a very good job with incorporating the public with, with cybersecurity and, and their efforts with this initiative. One thing that surprised me from this was that the NSA is sort of the back office IT for the Department of Defense. So I didn't realize this, you know, part of the report explains how, you know, at the beginning of COVID, there are these Department of Defense employees who need to be able to work from home. They suddenly are working remotely when typically they're working in what I imagine are secure facilities. And so the NSA reviews and approves, you know, I think it was like a dozen or more uh, of these sort of commercially available security products that would allow, you know, 100,000 DOD employees to work from home. So NSA looked at and blessed these products to allow that to happen. I thought that was pretty cool. Not, not something that I realized was within the NSA's purview to do. You're right. And um, a, a lot of it, I, I feel that it's built on top of the resistant exploitation of quantum computers by leveraging the DOD's cryptography team departments, uh, specialists. And I, I, I think this is a good step in the right direction. We see that our government is now transitioning to a more remote capacity. Um, it, it has to go hand in hand with, with the fact that we're developing stronger methods of security, um, more so just communication with the public to let them know that cybersecurity is a real topic of conversation and we should take it seriously. And so this is so good. And we're going to talk to Roger in a few minutes, and you know, I know he's going to tell us about when companies and individuals are looking to harden their cybersecurity posture. You know, spend money on social engineering, right? Because that's where the vast bulk of vulnerabilities come for uh, companies and for people. Uh, but the NSA, while it does some of that, you know, part of this report that they put out in January also talks about what you said. Quant they're worried that today's cryptography will not withstand quantum computing. And there's some great, you know, my, my exposure to this is really in science fiction, but there's some great stuff out there on what quantum computing is going to do and the revolution it's going to have for, uh, for cryptography. And it's good to see that the NSA is working on it. And if this is what they're telling us they're working on, Pablo, my guess is they're working on a lot of other cool things too. Spot on, man. Spot on. So I think also they've, <laughs> there's also part of the report which talks about delivering orders for tamper indicating products. So it's one thing to have a secure product, but it's another thing that's a secure product that tells you when it's hacked. And I think that tamper evident concept is pretty cool. I love the idea of the NSA as being sort of like Q from James Bond and having a product that it just delivers out to its customers uh, around, you know, US-based customers uh, and then customers who are serving in the national interest around the world. I think that's pretty cool that they've got this stable of uh, stamped secure products and tamper evident products that they give out. I'd think like think about how neat that is, Jack. That that's that's incredible. And I'm so happy you brought that up. Um, you're making my brain itch to to say it very simply, for lack of a better word. 
think about the curiosity that that's going to be peaked in the upcoming generation of cybersecurity professionals when they get the ability to more or less focus on really working with some amazing technology um, in a good way instead of taking an alternative path and going through a nefarious route where they're going to go ahead and do what they could do on the good side, but for the bad guys with malicious intent. Um, this this is good um, all around. Pablo, do you think that the NSA being more public uh, with reports like this and uh, starting a conversation about public-private partnerships for cybersecurity, at least, you know, you're, you're a lot closer than I am to sort of college students who are, who are being trained in the latest techniques uh, and methods in terms of cybersecurity. Will stuff like this, will reports like this from the NSA, is that getting people interested in careers in the government? Oh, yeah. I mean, let, let's just let's just start measuring right now simply off the cool factor. Um, NSA, most people associate it with no such agency. Let's be honest. There's an agency out there. It's the National Security Agency. Um, and the comment of defense in depth that I mentioned earlier comes to mind again. And I think that there is no better way to establish that principle in our real life environment than to include the public. When we have the public engage with our efforts and initiatives to secure this nation and the infrastructure that we rely on, what more can we do as, as, as a whole collective than to get the other part of our collective to contribute to the mission? And um, defensive depth is what comes in mind. We have our leading government organizations monitoring the, the interwebs. And then we have our society, our community contributing to the mission by pushing from the back, by being conscious of cyber hygiene and good methods to, to have safer online experiences. Yeah. One of, and one of the other uh, pieces of information revealed in the public report was that, you know, annually the NSA is involved in sort of updating the crypto on the fleet of U.S. Air Force F-22, F-22s. Uh, yeah. Which is pretty awesome, right? If you're gonna if you're gonna be not a bad way to train yourself, uh, than to work on the crypto for F-22s as well as the nuclear launch codes, that's two things that they you know I don't think it's a surprise, but they revealed that I wasn't aware of either of those things. That's pretty cool. I think if you're a, a young, uh, you know, thinking about where you want to do your career and you're just coming out of school right now and you have the opportunity to work on crypto for that, I think that's oh, yeah. pretty neat stuff. That's a fun gig. I 100% agree. All right. So with that said, we're going to take a short break now. And, and when we return, we're going to talk with Roger Grimes about his journey from healthcare worker to cybersecurity expert. Stay with us. Have an idea for a guest or topic? Send an email to info at nopasswordpodcast.com. All right. Welcome back. Our guest is Roger Grimes, the data-driven defense evangelist for No Before a Clearwater-based firm that helps organizations address the human element of cybersecurity. Welcome to No Password Required. Glad to be here. You know, Roger, we've, we've had you on this show before, and it's great to have you back. So thanks for coming back. Um, you know, what's uh, so what's the haps? What's the latest going on with you? 
Well, you know, certainly there's been a lot of hacking going on in the mail, right? The solar winds attack, which you know took over like 30,000 U.S. companies, including the Treasury and things like that. Ransomware is w- worse than ever. Uh, so, you know, I, I laugh because, you know, many years ago when I went into cybersecurity, uh, and I was a CPA at the time, a, accountant, I was like, man, you know, is there going to be more hacking in the future? You know, maybe they're going to detect, antivirus is starting to detect everything. Maybe, you know, maybe not or whatever, I laugh that I worried about job security in my new field. Now I know I'll be able to retire, you know, 60 years from now, I'd be fine. And I don't think retirement is actually going to be an option. It's one of these, I have a feeling cybersecurity, if you're a pro and good at it, it's going to be those things. Every time you try to leave, they're going to pull you back in. Uh. Roger, I know this is, you didn't start out in cybersecurity and you didn't even start out in accounting. Can you walk us through how you got to where you are, what, where you sort of started and, and how your career evolved over time? It was definitely convoluted. And I think a lot of people, when you look at the resume, it looks like there is this, I went from here to here to here, but yeah, I was certainly convoluted. Obviously, I've, I've been a lot of things in life, including an ice cream truck guy, right? Selling ice cream to people when I was in college. But uh, probably the career that I thought it was going to be was an ER doctor. That was kind of, and I was a paramedic. I was a nationally registered paramedic, uh, even before I was legally allowed to be so. Uh, I was an EMT. I was a lifeguard at the oceanfront. I'd lied about my age to be a lifeguard. So I was 15. You're supposed to be 16. And then they put me into an EMT program. So I became an EMT. And I started to move on up all the way through the different levels of being an EMT to becoming a paramedic. I was actually attending college with all these adults, and out of like the 30 or 40 people that uh, took the program, it was me and one other guy that passed, and right at the very end, they learned I wasn't old enough, but they, because I was only 17, uh, but they let me be it, so I was one of the youngest nationally registered paramedics, I thought I was going to be an ER doc, that was kind of, and let me say, I think I still, if I could have actually <laughs> had the grades and passed it, I think I would have enjoyed that career, uh, but all the ER, I had a lot of, I was a paramedic, and I was meeting people in the ER, and all the doctors seem miserable. Like, you know, maybe one guy really loved it. The rest are like, no, socialized medicine is going to ruin this, right? Which I laugh because that was like 30 years ago. They're like, socialized medicine is coming in, destroying our salaries. If I was you, I would go get your MBA. And I kind of ignored it. But after like two years of that, I thought, well, maybe they're right. So I went in and uh, switched my major from uh, biology. And I was, I remember I was not, uh, sad that I was having to drop organic chemistry, uh, <laughs> but I went into business, went into accounting. And I, I literally, when I came out at the end of accounting a couple of years later, and I ended up getting my CPA, it was then that I kind of realized that I hated accounting. I don't know how I passed it. I don't know how I passed the CPA exam somewhere. Some poor guy that's really smart in accounting. He's like, I can't believe I failed. And it was just a computer glitch and I passed and he failed. Uh, but, I, and let me say, I was such a terrible accountant. I got hired by a public firm that I didn't finish anything they ever gave me. And I'm not, you're going to think I'm making this up, but I took every tax return and every audit they gave me. And I just didn't know. And it wasn't like 1040s. It was like Unitrust tax forms, you know, that were like eight of them filled out in the United States that year. You know, 1040 was nothing. But I remember I shoved them in a drawer that I knew the papers were falling. The drawer was broken and everything in that drawer was falling. <laughs> and it was getting stuffed in the back of that drawer and falling below. But I had stuffed so much over eight months that when I pushed the drawer, the drawer really wouldn't close. I was having to put a lot of energy into closing that drawer. And I often wondered after I left, did they open that drawer and go, oh, my God, there was like a year's worth of tax auditing data <laughs> in there but 
the, the whole time I was kind of into computers and computer security. I'd gotten the interest of the bug when I was at college and I was fighting computer viruses. I'd created my own corporation to fight computer uh, viruses, which are the DOS viruses, the Stone virus and Jerusalem and Lehigh virus and Cascade, which cause you, you know, it would cause all your words to dribble across your screen. And you'd go, no, I need to fight that McAfee antivirus kind of coming out at the time. I was actually disassembling viruses for John McAfee through an organization called the PC Antivirus Research Foundation. So by the time I'm in accounting, I'm horrible. I am just the worst. And the partners were like, Roger, we'd like to have a meeting with you tomorrow, which I was like, well, when they do that, you're either doing really well and you get promoted or you get fired. And I was not the guy that was doing particularly well. So I was, I was sweating it out. And the next day I was just waiting at my desk while the phone rang and some guy, you know, some partner had uh, accidentally deleted the spreadsheet that a $5 million bank loan was for. And they're like, Roger, you're the computer geek guy. Can you come, you know, get this uh, spreadsheet back. I'm like, I can. And I, I collected Mace Utilities, PC Norton Disk Doctor, and and I showed up and I got this spreadsheet back. And there was a celebration. We even had champagne. <laughs> they were letting me sit. They were letting me sit in the board of director seat at this thing, and they're cheering me. And I literally. I was like, uh, I, I, the next day they had the meeting and they're like, they're going to tell me, Roger, we'd like to like form this arm where you're like this computer geek guy and we get into computers. I'm like, I quit. I quit. <laughs> like I picked the wrong field. And uh, obviously, I, and they literally said, you have wasted nine months of salary. They, they called a police officer to walk me to my desk to pick up my stuff. You know, I'm putting it in a box and I just had a new baby at home. And I wonder how I'm going to tell my wife that I've been fired or quit or whatever. When the phone rang and it ended up being a, a PC company. And then in like one minute, I had a new job no making way. more money walking out the door and never looked back. It's like that's it's like the that, last. Like I said, that's remarkable. Exactly. It's it's almost like office space type of thing, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the guy with upper management potential, and we bring you over to do the. <laughs> we say the accounting firm. It's like the last Starfighter. Like you think you're playing a video game, but really you're training for intergalactic warfare. It's yeah, like, it's a, it's a, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and even to make matters worse, I ended up becoming like so I'm a PC educator for a company called ExecuTrain, and I found out I could teach. And then I become like a PC technician, then a PC network technician, then network supervisor, then VP of IT, and then regional VP of IT. I mean, I'm really picking up and moving up the ladder. The whole time, I am not doing these jobs. I'm doing computer security probably 95% of the time. Like, they're like, Roger, we need you to work budgets for you. I'm like, uh, every PC is going to be $5,000. And I, I just was horrible at it. I don't, and I just blew up. Like, I remember in 1992, the Michelangelo virus was kicking off. And I was just like this PC network guy. And I remember uh, Newsweek and NPR came in to interview me. And there's this team of 12 people and camera people coming to my office. And I remember my boss, she was like, what's going on? Because she just has this guy she thinks is maintaining her network. And I have like, you know, 10 cameras following <laughs> me with big boom mics. And I like finally one day I woke up like, you know what? I need to just like do computer security full time. And that's what I did about 20 years ago. I switched over and never looked back. It's been a good career choice, but uh, it was a long, and I often say that, you know, it's like being a, it's like being an ER doctor, except for the patients don't yell as much. You know, it's just PCs trying to give you signs and symptoms. So I'm helping people. That's a great path to find out the thing that you're excellent at, right? But you can yep, go back yep. and pull that thread out and see that you were excellent all along, right? 
I'm very fortunate to do what I truly love. And I, and I do it 16 hours a day, seven days. On my honeymoon with my wife, I was in the hotel room writing my first book. And that she did not get mad at me made me realize she was the right woman. She understood my need to have to get this out of me. And so now 12 books and 1,100 magazine articles later, she still kind of understands. What really has been driving you to do this? Is it just you, you, you really like it? Um, and, and what when you say you really like, what about it that, that it keeps you going? I mean, because you, like I said, you have this, this resume and this litany of, of materials that you've produced. I mean, what is it that, that you say, you know what, this is why I really like it? The essence of it. What, is, what gets you going from it? My career will have been a failure if I don't make computing on the Internet significantly safer. I work every day. 16 hours a day, seven days a week, very few breaks, trying to make the internet safer. And let me say, I haven't really done so. I've contributed in a small way, but uh, it is my life goal career-wise is to make the internet significantly safer place to be. So people can compute and travel. You know, right now, like, you know, most email is malicious. It's more malicious email than true email. Most of the traffic on the internet's malicious. You know, it's a very dangerous place to be. Ransomware is rampant. You know, nation state attacks all over the place. It's horrible. This is the wild, wild west. And I just want to get it somewhere like DMV where, you know, you can't just throw a kid in their car and tell them to drive to Chicago. You know, there has to be some type of test and the highways have some guardrails on them or something. So really what drives me, and I'm not making this up, like literally, you know, I'm 54, I'm going to retire probably in 16 years or something. But if I die and I have not physically participated in making the internet significantly safer, I'm going to feel like a failure. And the worst part about it is it actually isn't that hard to do. I, I wrote 20 years ago how to do it. People that have reviewed what I recommend are like, yep, he's right. And I've had a lot of very smart people take a look. It's not that hard to figure out how to do it. Uh, it really isn't. We don't have to invent anything new. The protocols and things like that are there to do it. The problem is you can't get people in this room on this you know call to agree on everything. You can't get your family to agree on everything. So now imagine trying to get the internet to agree in all these different countries and stuff like that, because to make the internet significantly more secure, more secure you've got to build in uh, default uh, integrity and the default identity, uh, default encryption. And let me say, a lot of the people that have are invested in the internet, like Governments don't want that. You know, there's many governments that absolutely don't want default encryption. And our government has spies and they need people to hide coming across the internet to attack other people. So, I mean, just at a very gut level, the objectives like, hey, I need to make it so I can better identify bad people. There's a large part of the internet that absolutely does not want that to happen. And I'm not just talking hackers. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think it's going to take a tipping point event, you know, kind of like 9-11. Like after 9-11 happened, everybody was like, well, OK, I'll take off my shoes and pour my water out. You know, but can you imagine them asking you to go through a body scanner and pour out your baby's formula, you know, before 9-11? All the customers would have freaked out, said no way. The airlines would have said no way. But after 9-11, sure, yeah, you can look at my naked body in a scanner. Sure and I'll kick off my shoes and throw my water away. You know, it, it sometimes it just takes a tipping point event to, to make real security kind of happen. Yeah, do you think the uh, the solar winds, is that, uh, that going to be, or is it going to take something bigger than a solar winds type of thing to make you know, where we have that tipping point? I mean, you know, we see, because I think with solar winds now, we're seeing it's just the... Uh, all it did was expose the data or expose the access that the actors had. 
We didn't have a, you know, uh, it'd be like, hey, we identified people that are hijacking planes. We didn't, they didn't crash them in. Do you think it's going to be that, or is it going to take some more catastrophic event to, to really push us down the path? Far more catastrophic, I think. And by that, I mean stock market down for two hours. Uh, you know, what's amazing is, is how bad it is today. Let's say solar winds, right? I mean, that infiltrated all kinds of yeah. government agencies, our treasury, uh, 10, 30,000 industries. And let me say, we don't have a good answer of how to stop that yet. Um, but ransomware that takes down entire cities all the time, all the time, hospitals, police organizations, people are making hundreds of billions of dollars. It's amazing to me that that's not enough. Like each time I keep thinking, well, okay, they've now infected 30,000 organizations, including the U.S. Treasury, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and Microsoft. Certainly, we're going to really take this serious. Turns out, no. I think if you took down a Kardashian channel or something like that, you know, maybe that would cause more of an outrage. I don't know what the tipping point event is, but I am continually shocked by what isn't. And you see, you know, we work with a lot of companies that have breaches that occur through email, right? And I know, you know, when I, when I think of you and your, and your colleagues, you, you're a lot associated with phishing, anti-phishing and, and, and campaigns. You know, you would think that after a, an email-based phish, the company would move to models that don't require sending 300 emails a day. But no one does that, right? The, you know, the sort of the, the full-time adoption of Slack or Teams or other products that take us away from email communication just hasn't yeah, happened. But- they would just hack the heck out of that. I mean, uh, you know, so, you know, we use Slack. I, I you know, my company, uh, there's, if we were, whatever you go to is just what's going to be hacked, right? Like it used to be Windows, then Macs. And like the first viruses I used to troubleshoot were Apple viruses, you know, and then DOS viruses became big and then Windows viruses and then Mac malware overtook Windows malware last year. And then, you know, it, it's the, the attackers move where stuff is, but you know, it, it's much more simple than that. We actually, so 70 to 90% of all malicious data breaches uh, are due to social engineering and phishing. And unpatched software is 20 to 40%. And let me say those numbers change in whatever survey you see. What I can tell you is that every single survey data research you can see, phishing and social engineering is the number one problem. Unpatched software is number two. And let me go further. It's been one of those two things, like 27 out of the last 30 years. For a while, you had DOS boot viruses. Anybody old enough to remember, hey, make sure you pop open your floppy disk when you use yeah. your computer. <laughs> or you had the Configure USB virus for a little while. And then we had email worms for a little while. So there's these other, there's a couple of things. But consistently, since since I was a child, social engineering phishing has been number one. And unpatched software, number two. And, like, it's amazing that there's a million other things it could be, but these two things have been not only what it is today, but for the last 30 years, and we're still not tackling them. I can, stand, I can still send anyone an email. I, can, I don't care how smart you think you are. I can send you an email that will fish you. And I have had people go, oh, you can't fish me. I get them within a day or two. <laughs> it doesn't, it's not that hard to do. I can be fished, right? And it's because that it is inherently untrustworthy or your phone right your phone sms messages or voicemail messages when someone calls you and says hey we're from your bank how do you know you don't there's no authentication i can fake phone numbers i'm sure the other smart people can do it and so like with this entire critical society based upon this really uh, amount of trust that i give people that really you shouldn't give them 
You know, it's 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 kind of crazy overall. But the the thing that is amazes me is the two biggest problems have been the two biggest problems forever, and yet we kind of don't really tackle them. Or like, uh, you know, I live in Tampa, Florida, and the Oldsmar water treatment plant thing happened last week yeah. where, uh, or, or, or happened whatever time it happened to go, but you had this, you're like, oh my God, they had an unsecure uh, water treatment system control computer attached to the internet that either didn't re- require a password, wasn't a, a hard password to guess, and it didn't require multi-factor authentication or a VPN. And you're like, oh my God, what century are we in? You ready for the shocker? It's probably one of 10,000 water control treatment plants that have the exact same problem. And I'm lucky if it doesn't happen in my house. I could have that same problem in my house and I don't know. I mean, it's like every time you hear about the latest hack, you're like, oh my God, so-and-so got hacked and, you know, a billion accounts stolen. Everybody's hacked. Everybody can be hacked. There's probably a million people hacked right now and you're just learning about this one. They're like, oh my God, this bank's broken into. The rest of them are probably broken into. I mean, like the solar winds. Oh my God! And the solar winds had a life to it, right? Where people talked about it afterwards. But I feel like the the hack of the water treatment plant. We're not talking enough about it. I mean, there's really not enough conversation. It's, it's a dial. Like we've talked about this in cybersecurity for 10, 15 years. A dial that goes to eleven that's connected somehow. Someone's going to find it and turn it up to eleven and melt down the plant, or they're going to crank. You know, the the put more chlorine in the water. They're going to crank it to eleven. The unprotected dial has been known about for forever, but this literally touches the water supply. And here we are not making a big enough deal about it. Are we too sensitized? Nationwide, international, it's going to be in conferences for years. But here's my thing is, it's not Oldsmar. I applaud Oldsmar for literally telling us about it because the rest of them are lying and just not telling us. It happens all the time. But the reality is the problem is far, far worse. It is horrible out there it is you would think that we really weren't having much internet crime <laughs> you know <laughs> but it's because the person that broke in oldsmore was like a kid probably i don't think they know who it was but the person broke in if it was anybody of any intelligence that really wanted to do that and by the way i think lie sometimes tastes good if your water has a bad aftertaste to it maybe the lie offsets the the, the water aftertaste I, I mix it into cocktails yeah, that's, that's right, right. <laughs> that's right, right. Makes it glow, but that's right. Uh, you know, like that guy broke in in the middle of the day while a person was operating a computer. Like that was an idiot. Like anybody, if I'm a Russian spy, I'm breaking in. I'm like, what are their business hours? I'm not going to break in till 8 p.m. This person broke in in the middle of the day. The only time guaranteed to pretty much possibly have a human being on it, and did it twice. Yeah. <laughs> and then said, yeah. uh, then cranked it up so much it was probably going to get noticed. Although I do love where they're like, we have multiple other systems that would have offset this. I'm not buying it. And let me say, I don't, I don't say they're bad people. I think they're great people. I don't think their secu- I don't think their security is any worse than the rest of America. I think the rest of America has pretty bad security, but I do not trust these three other systems that would have caught this problem. Like, yeah, they would yeah. have caught it like the solar winds attack nine months later. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that's what I was thinking along that same lines. Uh, I mean, if we if this was a concerted, really sharp, uh, let's put we put nation state against that. I mean, then you get something like a Stuxnet. Yeah, that. That these folks get in there, they find the vulnerability, they get in, and then they're messing around with it. And yet the operator, all the operator sees is everything's fine. But meanwhile, the actual system is being messed with. And, and you're getting those lovely live flavored drinks 
uh, coming out of your faucet, which you don't have, you know, some people, like, like, Roger, you might actually enjoy. We made Super uh, so Bowl you, cocktails, you know? That's right. The, <laughs> that's right. The Brady Lie Lemonade. <laughs> that's exactly. <laughs> uh, shifting gears for just a little bit, you've described yourself as the best in the world at uh, defending against hackers. Sell me on that. How is that? Well, here's the wild thing. For, for, for 20 years, I've also been a penetration tester breaking into places, and I've broken into every place hired to be in 20 years in an hour or less, except for one place that took me three to five hours because it was the second time I was there, and they'd followed most of what I said the first time. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best, I'm maybe a five or six hacker. Like, I'm not that good. It's just so easy to break into places. It's like being a plumber or electrician. Once you know what to do, it's just not that hard to it's do. Easy. Yeah. Defending, I do think I'm number one in the world. Like, like I literally, I've been doing this for a long time. I've put a lot of hours. I talk to a lot of people. I go against, you know, it's, one time I had a debate against some Princeton doctorate guy and everybody was all scared about me. I'm like, no, worry about the other guy because I'm going to tear him apart. And I did. I've been doing this a long time. I think, you know, I'm not innately brilliant. Like, I'm not super intelligent. I don't have, if, if I was to write a book of my life, it'd be called One IQ Point Above Average. You know, I'm like 101. <laughs> But I'm a hard worker, and I understand, and I've been exposed to stuff, and you write 12 books, 1,100 articles, you got to do a lot of research. So the research and interviewing and working with people, I think I'm pretty good, but I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't write, I can't, I have no other special talents whatsoever, except for I think I know, I'm pretty confident, I know how to stop a hacker from breaking into your organization. If you want somebody to help you stop hacking... I'm the guy to have in the room because I just have this very clear vision focus of what to do. Like I wrote this book called Data-Driven Defense. It was my 10th book and it's my magnum opus. But literally it says, essentially it's in a nutshell saying, hey, you should actually concentrate against the things of how people break in. Like I feel dumb having to say Mm. that. You should actually fight the things that are breaking into your company. And let me say, almost no company does it. Like because like social engineer social engineering and unpatched software get about five percent maybe of an IT security budget in most organizations. It is seventy to ninety nine percent of the reasons why people break into companies. It's this fundamental disconnect, and and I recognize this like fifteen years ago. I'm going into all these companies. I'm I consult between a dozen to hundreds of companies a year, year after year after year, and I would tell them, oh, I found out your number one problem is unpatched Java. For about ten years, unpatched Oracle Java is number one problem, and I'm going into place after place, and they're compromised. They're not only compromised; they've been compromised two and three times. They've lost millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. They've been fined. They've lost customers. CEOs, but CISOs, been fired. Staffs been fired. I do. My my little dog and pony show report and I'm like hey you need to patch Java the last three times the Chinese APT advanced persistent threat broke in here they used your unpatched Java exploit you need to patch Java and everybody's like yeah yeah then I come back in six months or a year it's not been patched not only that they went I'd go look at the patching report and I at first go oh you, there's no unpatched Java they're like yeah there's like we have a million unpatched Java and it skews the report so we removed that from the report because everybody knows that's the problem and you would think I'm making this up but that was said to me by a fortune 10 company I'm like no that means you're never gonna fix it and I really I'm like why are people not fixing this stuff and the problem is there's all these problems and all these ways and all these things you're told to fear it's as if somebody's breaking into your house through a window 10 times and you're like man this really is terrible and then you decide well i need to get a stronger front door i need to get more locks on my front door because i heard that's the way that they can come through 
That's what happens in the computer security industry. And I am a guy that, like, I have two, maybe two special superpowers besides hard work. One is that I can see clarity. I can see, you know, the trees through the forest. And number two, I, I'm really good at spotting trends. You know, like when ra ransomware lately has become a lot more dangerous, it's doing data exfiltration, and it's still in it. Ransomware is five times more dangerous today than just a year ago. And I kind of saw that happening at the end of 2019 and actually wrote and did a webinar and wrote articles about it. And sure enough, now it's 70% of all ransomware. So that's maybe my other special talent is I can just see small trends and go, hey, last month it was 1%, this month it's 2%, next month it looks like, hey, that's a trend, and I report it. But I feel like the dumb version of Warren Buffett, you know, buy low and sell high. I'm just saying you should actually fight the way that you're most likely to be broken into. Roger, what's on the horizon for us? What do you think is coming next? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, if you look at the past, the most popular ways social engineering and unpatched software are going to attack us, you know, and it's going, and let me say, it's going to get worse. For 30 years, at the end of every year, I've had to write a column for InfoWorld or CSO Magazine would be, hey, how do you think next year is going to be? Is it going to be better or worse? And for 30 years, I've said, going to be worse, <laughs> and I've never been wrong. Even like ransomware, in 2019, I thought, okay, they're taking down hospitals, police stations, entire companies. They took down multiple large cities, city of Baltimore, school systems in Texas. Like, like there's no way. I said to myself in my mind, there's no way it can get worse. But when I wrote the article, I went, it's probably going to get worse. I'm not sure how. And then they just started doing worse stuff. So what is my prediction? It's going to be far worse. Like solar winds. Again, let me go, this solar winds thing's terrible. I don't know how they're going to fight it. It's, and it's not like we've been writing stories for two decades about supply, ch you know, supply chain attacks. Yeah. This is not new. We knew about it. And still, 99% of companies are doing nothing about it, except for maybe they're watching a TikTok video. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, thing, that thing can happen. That's an interesting data point. I should pay attention to it. Well, we've been talking to Roger Grimes from Know Before. After a short break, we'll return with Ernie's Lifestyle Polygraph. You are listening to the No Password Required Podcast. We cover cybersecurity and a lot of other stuff. Right, welcome back, Roger. Are you ready? I am ready. Yes, the Lifestyle Polygraph. For those of you who don't know, the Lifestyle Polygraph is an in-depth discovery uh, mechanism that we're going to divine the inner workings of Roger, Roger Grimes. So, it's a series of five questions, and we're gonna start here, here we go. Which would make a better pet for a James Bond villain? Either a shark or an octopus. Yeah, I don't know why it hasn't been the octopus, but it should be. Like, an octopus is like one of the smartest things in the world. Have you seen those YouTube videos where an octopus opens the inside of a jar? Like, they put him in a jar and he unscrews it backwards? I would die. Like, I know how a jar works, and I still wouldn't make it out of it. But, like, octopuses are super smart. Uh, I had a, a marine aquarium for a while, and you can't keep an octopus in those things if, like, there's an ocean around within a couple hundred miles. I, I'm not making this – you're going to think I'm making this story, but a friend of mine had an octopus – and he had noticed during the time he had an octopus, two things. One is he had some, there were some water trails in front of his fish tank. And number two, the fish in his son's tank were uh, disappearing. And that happens in the <laughs> aquarium trade. Your fish get eaten by somebody else. and they just, 
whatever. One day he found the dead octopus on the front of his tank. Like months and months later, it was outside on the floor. And he was like, oh, that's why there was water in the front. He got a security camera, and he found out the octopus was climbing out at night, out of the main tank, climbing down the hall, going into his son's tank, eating the fish, and then coming back in and getting in his tank. And i got to say, if that ain't James Bond, like, 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 don't you start asking yourself, like, how did the octopus know that there was fish in this other tank. Was it coming into the rooms looking at people? Like, no way. No way am I having something that smart in my house ever. Even You talk to any, like, aquari- marine aquarium person, like, oh, yeah, those octopuses. Like, they have stories. You don't trust them. It's definitely, that's the more <laughs> evil of the two. Have you seen the picture of the guy that's in love with the octopus and, and the octopus to get away with the shark hops on the shark's back? Yeah. Guy's got it film. The shark's like the shark's about to eat it, and the octopus has nowhere to hide. He's been hiding under shells and stuff, and he just hops on the back of the shark. And next thing you know, he looks like a cowboy. <laughs> you know, like this can't be real. But the guy filmed it. They're very smart. You're making the case that the the octopus probably isn't the actual pet for the villain, but the octopus is the villain. So yeah. That's where I think yes, the octopus is is, is secretly running the whole show. Yeah. Um, I don't even eat octopus anymore. I used to when I went to a sushi place, but God knows what they could be doing. They could still be Well, you don't want to take them off. You don't want to, you don't, yeah, because your next thing you know, they're going to be out there say, there's that guy. I saw him. He was hanging around the sushi bar. (laughs) He was, yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Uh, Number two, what is a more powerful way to deliver social discourse? Very philosophical, very deep. Is it either comedy or music? Ah, that's a good one. Okay, but I'm going to say music because um, music, I don't know why, but it conquers the world. Even people that hate us, like if you go to a country that hates America right now, they're probably singing American rock songs. Like there's something about the ability of music to permeate hate. And comedy, it's really weird. Like, I watch, like, UK comedy, and some of it's funny. Then you get to, like, oh, one time, like, I tried to be funny to a German audience. They didn't laugh. They're like, he is, they're like, that American is the least funny guy I've ever got. Those different types of comedy in different places. But music, you could play, like, Indian, I don't what do you call the instruments, like, with the Beatles guy was playing? I don't know, some type of weird sitar yeah. or something. Yeah. And I'm like, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. If that guy told me to either smoke pot or not smoke pot, I might be into it. So, you know, I wonder, I wonder, does that mean we should have, in order to get the message out, do we have to have more songs about cybersecurity? Yeah, that is like the worst idea for a rock band ever. <laughs> but but I, 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 the, factually, it seems to be pretty clear that that's what we need to do. That, that is what we need to do for the tipping point event. Well, there's a ba- there's I mean, a battle of the bands every year at Net Diligence in Philadelphia. I know it's a hot ticket to go to beforehand, but they usually get five or six bands, and they're pretty good. They need to sing about cybersecurity. I think that's the problem. Listen, yeah, what is it? The Kermit the Frog song. You know, why are there so many songs about rainbows? <laughs> How come there's not enough songs about passwords? Rainbow table cracking. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. So that you know, put that one on the list. That's one's That's on the list. brilliant. That's brilliant. I'm going to put my octopus friends on it. They're going to make something happen. That's that's like the name of the band. The <laughs> octopus. Uh, you know, I, I, it's all coming together here. This is why we do this part of the show. Our fair, our fair <laughs> band of octopuses. Yeah, that's right. I got it. That's right. Okay. 
in keeping with the theme here about uh, the sea, which would you prefer to have limitless knowledge of? The ocean or the human mind? Ah, another good one. Uh, uh, so I, I believe in saving the ocean. I belong to multiple save the ocean, save the reef things. But I, no doubt the human mind, because if you understand the human mind, you can hack the rest. Like, why don't people care about global climate change? Why don't they care about saving the reefs and stopping pollution and stopping hackers? The person that, that gets that superpower, like, how do you motivate people to do something you know, that, that's it. And the human mind, I actually, one of my favorite books of all time is In Search of Memory. Uh, that talks about how we actually make memories, the electromechanical, physical things of uh, how a memory is made. It's a fantastic book. It's a little bit dense at times. But if you, under, uh, why, if you want to understand why you can remember something that happened when you were six years old like it happened yesterday, it's in that book. But the ability to, how to my downfall of my life or career is I've not been able to successfully motivate people, uh, you know, to improve cybersecurity or fix the internet, you know. And then you have like Elon Musk, which he has hacked it to death because he's like, I bought Dogecoin or whatever it's called for my kid, and like it went up a bazillion dollars. Yeah. And I'm like, everybody in the world's idiots, but they bought it and he made money off of it. His kid's now a billionaire. <laughs> Yeah, he, he says something. He just says, uh, I think Dodge uh, Coin is going to be good. And everybody goes and buy it. Meanwhile, you know, you say, ah, oh, man, you know, you should really uh, just, it's pretty simple. Just just patch your software. That guy's crazy. I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, like, but he's the he's ultimate motivator. He literally yeah, exactly. says a word and people, and people are buying it. Yeah. Yep. yeah. He's figured it right. out. He's figured it out. He, he's that, that, that guy. It's like saying, that guy's got it all figured out. <laughs> Okay, here we are, number four. And I think this is kind of playing off of it, uh, but a little bit here it is. For a cybersecurity professional, what is it more difficult to overcome? A person's fear of inconvenience or their desire to trust? Um, I think people are far too trustworthy, by far. Like, guy looks like he's in a domino suit and bringing my pizza and I open my door. Guy could be a serial killer or something like that. Uh, but yeah, people really don't or don't want to be inconvenient. Like, I'm amazed in America that not only how many people have their cars open at night all the time unlocked. Like, I can't imagine leaving my car unlocked. But like the sheer number of guns stolen out of unlocked cars each year is like 1.1 million. I'm like, I get it. We're a gun nation and everything. Hey, I love guns. But you have a gun in your car and you don't care enough to even lock the car. Like, like we're just way too trustworthy, and we just like, is it just too much to have to click the clicker to, to unlock my car, and I leave my gun in the glove box or whatever? I, I don't get it. We really don't like people to get in our way of uh, anything, right? Right? It's, uh, it's we would get out of our way so I can go do my thing. Uh, it, security does not sell. Like, it just doesn't. If you're like, I got this really highly secure thing, most people are thinking, well, I need to buy the next thing. Because <laughs> that's obviously going to be kind of a pain to use. Like, I even have people like, you know, I'm a, I do a lot of stuff on multi-factor authentication. I have companies contact me like, I've got this new great five-factor authentication thing that stops all hacking. I'm like, you'll never sell it. They're like, what? I'm like, people don't want to use two-factor authentication, much less five-factor. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 I'm going to I'm gonna sell it to the NSA. And, then, and I'm like, no, 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 I know the NSA, they're not going to buy it either. Like, they're only, even the NSA is only into like three factors. Like, 
it, it, when you build perfect security, nobody will use it. It just is a sad thing about the human condition. It just yep. it's just the way it is. Well, you look at you know, customer-facing logins, right? You know, every company might set up multi-factor and then they want to keep, they want to allow their customers to stay logged in for 90 days at a clip because they know that customers are going to be visiting that website, clicking on that app, and they don't want to have to re-enter a password. So you, you, you could even, it doesn't matter. Right. In some ways, we want that convenience. Yeah. Not only that, but the average person has somewhere between three to 15 passwords over 170 websites. In my lifetime, I don't think I've had but two websites ever ask me to change my password. Like I'm still using the same Amazon password that I think before. I don't think it was even named Amazon. I think it was called Bezos or something dot com. <laughs> and they have not asked me to change my password. I think it's three, four characters long. You know, something like that. Maybe I shouldn't admit that. It's Octo. You know, I shouldn't admit it out loud. But, like, nobody. It's – and we all know you should use a long, long, complex password and change it at least every once a year. There's not a website in the world that would – can you imagine if a website actually asked you and it was all your websites all at different times all the time asking you to change your password? Actually, the guy, he, he asked me – he's brilliant. He goes, I don't remember any of my passwords. Just every time I go and I tell it I forgot my password. And so it issues me a new password. Not, a new password. I was like, that's kind of brilliant. That's kind of, I don't know. I'd have to, I need to research that with my octopus friends, but I don't know why that's a bad idea. But then all the things that you use in the knowledge-based authentication are also accessible through that account, right? It's just yeah, what's your mother's maiden name? <laughs> like what rocket scientists <laughs> thought of that? Literally, it's like, what's your yeah. father's, or what's your favorite vet? Or you know you're like favorite vet? Do I have like three vets nearby me that I choose my and I choose my favorite? And I guess that's are they're like what's your favorite car? There's only like a hundred different car brands in the world. They don't change much to much to much per decade. It's probably not an AMC Pacer or Gremlin. Like I'm pretty sure I'm not an uber genius octopus guy, but I think I can guess your favorite car in 20 guesses. I would never guess your password. It could be like a trillion different things. I can guess your favorite car because there's only a hundred of them possible. All right. As we say um, in the United States, give me convenience. And so here we are. On to our final one. You once claimed that if you were isolated from society, you know, COVID aside, you would read the classics that you never had time for. Which one would you read first? Ah, I got to tell you, there's a ton of them, but very simple stuff and, and probably weird stuff, but like Mark Twain, right? Mark Twain stuff, you know, yeah. like Tom Sawyer. So the, Mark Twain's not a book, but, you know, probably, the you know, <laughs> Tom Sawyer, that sort of stuff, War and Peace. You know, War and Peace, you hear a thousand pages of boring Russian history or whatever, but everybody talks about it. I want to read it. So that's it. But if you were to say one book, probably uh, Tom Sawyer, just because it's very, it's Americana, you know, that sort of stuff. And have you started reading it? No, I, I have, and I read on average about two or three books a week, almost all of them nonfiction. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not very exciting right now, but I'm trying to learn and communicate and, you know, re redo. But, uh, you know, I read a lot of biographies, and I got through with an Edison biography that was in reverse time. And it reminded me of that movie, Memento or whatever, where you're learning about everything backwards. And I'm going to say the movie was good. Edison in reverse, not so good. I'm not sure why the guy went there, but I learned a lot. That guy, not super smart Edison, had like a 1,000 patents. And what did he do? He would just do like 10,000 experiments. Like he would just experiment, experiment, all failures. And oh, I, I, you know, I invented the light bulb. I invented the phonograph. I invented the movie picture. But the guy was the hardest working dude you ever met. 
And the other thing that I learned was like he, in the end of his life, he got diabetes. The guy hardly ate anything. He like ate yogurt and like half a banana during the day. I'm like, he still got diabetes? And eh, maybe I should just keep eating and stay fat. Because even that guy got diabetes and he tried to do everything right. <laughs> and, and ending on the note of Edison and diabetes, how did it happen? Um, that's, that's, that's fantastic. And Roger, uh, I can't thank you enough again for, uh, for joining us on this episode of No Password uh, Required. Before uh, we let you go, is there anything you'd like to close and leave with us? Yeah, I mean, just so from computer security, uh, just remember uh, that the two biggest things you can do is fight social engineering and patch your software. And then remember, no matter how bad it gets in the computer security world, the real problems are in the real world. That would be our loved ones in the ER. Everything else is just work. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Roger, thank you again for joining us on No Password Required. And we hope you can come back again and we can continue. Me too. I love you. all are absolutely my favorite podcast in my career. When people say, Roger, can you give me an example of your writing? I send them the other podcast y'all did with me because I just love it. And this one, I can already tell that I love it more. My octopus friends are already sending me uh, five stars. So I'm pretty excited about it. And listen, we all know that we want to stay on the good graces of the octopus community. I mean... Listen, they're picking Super Bowls. They're, you know, knocking off fish in neighboring tanks. <laughs> you know, it, it's like there's a mafia thing going on. I don't know. <laughs> Octopus Mafia. There's the That's band. That's right. There's the That's band right. name. That's it. It's exactly. They come in, hey, you know, I don't know what's going on with my eight arms, but, you know, a guy could slip. <laughs> All right. So coming up next, Pablo Torres will share his take on Hermione Granger the child prodigy from the Harry Potter universe. Will her stunning natural ability and top-notch work ethic be enough to land her as senior director of threat intelligence at our firm? Let's find out. There's a place for everyone in the world of cybersecurity, and Pablo Torres plans to prove it. Welcome to Positively Cyber. Welcome back. And now here's Pablo Torres with Positively Cyber. Welcome to Positively Cyber. I'm your host, Pablo Torres. I think we're onto something with our team. However, there's only one way to find out if what we are all thinking here is right, staying focused on the mission. The group consensus, if you ask me, is one of overzealous, ambitious, positively-minded, action-oriented individuals. This is very good. We cannot lose sight that the whole is more than the sum of its parts. The discipline pays, and we have to maintain that mindset throughout the bad, the good, the really bad, and the good again. This game, called cybersecurity, is like a yo-yo, and without dark, there is no light. Without red team, there is no blue team. We have magic on this team, and moving forward with our organization, we are aiming to mature as a cutting-edge producer of the demanded security needs. So how do we make the universe's most powerful cybersecurity firm even better? We make every effort to hire Hermione Granger. The muggle-born daughter of dentists was first introduced to us on the Hogwarts Express, sharing her knowledge of the wizarding world and repairing Harry's glasses with the simple Oculus Repairo spell. At this early point in her arc, Miss Granger comes off as a bit of a know-it-all who never misses an opportunity to impress those around her. To be fair, her intellectual gifts and work ethic are undoubtedly worthy of pride. And as she grows into the powerful wizardress that she is, she learns many of her soft skills, like good communication and supporting her teammates to complement her wand-waving skills perfectly. 
Miss Granger is a quintessential brain, and she wears it like a crown, in the same way that Harry represents courage and how Ron represents loyalty. Hermione is petrified during the novel, so much so that these traits make her one of Malfoy's favorite targets. Nevertheless, her fear did not deter her before she had the opportunity to contribute her vast knowledge as she leaned into a series of detective efforts. During our previous episode, we had the sincere pleasure of sharing time with Melinda Lemke, Information Security Director at King and Spalding. We learned many valuable lessons from her, the collective sentiment being acutely refined to her unembellished words, don't wait to be tapped for an opportunity. Create your own opportunities. Raise your hand and seize the day. It's almost like Melinda was speaking directly to Hermione. Success is about inspiration. This is the key. Success to our highest level, success to our own personal standard of what we could become is not only something we should strive for, it's something that we should feel obliged to achieve. The reason why is because everyone who sees what it is that you are doing in life will take something away from your journey. They will see and say, if she could do it, why can't I do it too? Unequivocally so, Hermione is THE woman for the Senior Director of Threat Intelligence role. She is willing to step up when there is a leadership void. Two of the most significant moments in this epic story revolve around her taking charge of a perilous situation with her intellectual and organizational skills. And the results of her taking command of the formation of Dumbledore's army, as well as the development and the execution plan to recover the hidden horcruxes, these impromptu accomplishments were incredibly crucial against the Battle of, of Lord Voldemort. Defending a vulnerable network always requires innovative and decisive action. Hermione showed the depth of her talent and dedication when using the time turner that ended up saving two lives. She used her intuition and problem-solving skills to figure out how to protect both Sirius Black and Buckbeak, all while avoiding her past self and setting off an entirely new list of problems. Did I mention that Hermione took care of these extracurricular activities all while continuing her stellar classroom contributions? Moreover, can you think of a better advocate for getting clients to back up their files? It truly is the best way to travel in time, digitally speaking. As Dumbledore promises, help comes at Hogwarts to those who ask. Hermione is personable with her teachers and follows the rules most of the time. She values grades and genuinely loves to learn. Although she disapproves of Ron and Harry's sometimes questionable behavior, she stands by them. Hermione is a good-natured and adventurous soul who is always looking to provide assistance. When in doubt, she turns to books, and usually she knows how to find the answer. Hermione is perhaps the most compulsive and reasonable character in the story. She prioritizes academic details, is very self-confident, and gets along well with others who are confident. She knows intuitively when to walk away from a conflict and when to dig more deeply. Hermione's actions inspire us to produce and stick to our knowledge consistently. Smart decisions, good due diligence, and most importantly, a conscious attitude are all infectious, and our organization will never have enough. Heroism is unconnected to a person's history, family line, or encounters. Hermione, you are a great wizardress, and what you do with your greatness tells the most about who you are. Be who you are meant to be. Be a good human. Evil triumphs when good people do nothing. Miss Granger, this is the place for you to be forever passionate and curious. We welcome you to our team as our Senior Director of Threat Intelligence. 
Our steadfast belief in your pursuit of productively executing exact equations deeply moves us. We are happy to have you on our side and in our family always. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Pablo Torres with Positively Cyber. Pablo, I like it. I mean, I think we got to find a spot for her, and I think this is a good one for her, right? Because she has access not just to, you know, um, history books, right, but also sort of more cutting edge stuff. She reads the Daily Prophet every day, and 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 the boys, the boys' story don't do that, right? So she she has a good depth and base of knowledge, but also she updates it pretty regularly. You know, as part of the hiring team here, the only question I would have though is that time turner. You know, the ethics of that. Um, to be fair, she's presented, I think, as a 12-year-old. And so we've got to give her a little slack. And she tries to use it for good, right, which is to maximize the time spent in classes. But, oh, boy, you know, if we've known anything, right, from Back to the Future, messing around in the past can really mess with the present. That's the one thing we'd have to have a talk with her about that. Monitor her time turner usage, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack, exactly, exactly. And... She she definitely she's a bookworm. Let, let, let's go ahead and say it. She's a bookworm. However, I think this superpower that she has, which is one that you don't have to be anyone of special, magical, made up overall bodily contribution to be a bookworm. It requires effort. And you just have to be willing and ambitious enough to go and look for the answer. Um, I think as a professional, Hermione really exemplifies what it is to be a cybersecurity professional by not allowing for any visibility gaps to be possible within the environment that she's contributing to. And by doing all this reading, I mean, I think she's really, really limiting the gaps that we could potentially see within our environment. Yeah. And she's also, you know, she's not without personality or personal interpersonal skill, right? Because some of that too is her ability to gather information and be aware of rumors and stay on top of things, right? So her, her, her ability to gather from well-established sources without peer. But also, she does have a network in the Dumbledore's army, I think, is an example of how she's able to also socially organize, which is pretty key, too, for that role. Um, I don't know if it's canon. I, th- I think the time turner may have been destroyed, That I, if I'm remembering correctly. So I, I think we may be in, in the clear on that, as long as she agrees not to try to construct another one. So I, I do think that, at least in canon, and... I don't want to go forward to the cursed child because I don't know if we're going to we're counting that in our timeline right now. But she does pretty well for our, for herself in the in the wizarding world with her sort of accomplishments. So I think you've picked a very very good um, member to join uh, our sort of other uh, folks, uh, Pablo here in Positively Cyber. So thanks for that. That brings us today to the end of our program. Thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, first and foremost, I want to thank Pablo Torres and Ernie Ferraresso. Thank you also to our guest today, Roger Grimes from Know Before, somebody who will one day read a book that was written by a thousand octopi working at a thousand typewriters. Remember, rate, review, and subscribe to the No Password Required podcast. Send your questions or comments to info at nopasswordpodcast.com. I'm Jack Clabby. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to the No Password Required podcast. The show is produced by Cyber Florida. A special thanks goes out to our friends at Carlton Fields and Cognizant. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, visit our website, cyberflorida.org, 
slash pod. 